He will provide ability. The greatest believer in this world cannot say, I am able to suffer this or that for Christ. But the least believer in the world must say, I am willing, the Lord assisting me, to endure and suffer all things for His sake. Number three, that which perfects the whole action is an entire choice of Jesus Christ upon all the terms prescribed by Him. The entireness of the choice without having or dividing, accepting or reserving, makes the consent full and effectual. There is a twofold consent of the will to Christ. There is a partial consent which is always hypocritical, defective and ineffectual. The hypocrite is really willing to have the pardon of Christ, the glory purchased by him, but to part with his beloved lusts and to give up his earthly enjoyments his will cannot consent to. There is a full and entire consent of the will called a believing with all the heart. Acts 8.37 Now this entirety and fullness of the will's choice is that which closeth the union between Christ and the soul and frees a man from the danger of hypocrisy. And there are three things which make the consent to the choice of Christ complete. First, we heartily consent to be Christ's when we give up all we are and have to Him, so that against this choice of Christ we look upon ourselves thenceforth as not our own, but bought with a price to glorify God in our body and soul, which are His. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 Soul and body are all that we are, and both these parts of ourselves do now pass by an act of our own consent into the Redeemer's right. We are not to have the disposal of them. That belongs to Him who purchased them. You know that in all purchases property is altered. You did live as your own, followed your own wills and passions, were under the dominion and at the back of every lust. But now the case is altered. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Titus 3.3 So many lusts, so many lords, but now we have given ourselves to Christ no more to be swayed this way or that against His word and the voice of your conscience. Thus our souls and bodies are His, hallowed, dedicated to Christ, temples for God to dwell in, and thus all other things follow, of course. If I am the Lord's, then my time, my talents, and all that I have is His. Second, 
you must derive and draw all you want from him. God hath stored up in Christ all you want, a full supply for every need, and made it all communicable to you. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1.30 All the believer's springs are in Christ. Have I any difficult business to do that requires courage? Then I must repair to Christ, the fount of wisdom. Am I under guilt? Then I must repair to Christ for righteousness. Is my soul burdened by corruption? Then I must go to Christ for sanctification. Do I groan under troubles of soul or body? temptations or afflictions, then I must relieve myself by the faith and hope of that complete redemption and final deliverance procured by Christ from all these. If you consent to be Christ's, you must not look for justification partly from His righteousness and partly from your own graces and duties, but must make mention of His righteousness even of His only. Psalm 71.16 If there is but one conduit in a town, and not a drop of water to be had elsewhere, then all the inhabitants of that town repair thither for water. In the whole city of God there is but one fount, and that is Christ. There is not a drop of righteousness, holiness, strength or comfort to be had elsewhere. Then we draw all from Christ when we live upon Him as the newborn infant doth upon the mother's breast. Third, our consent to and choice of Christ is entire and full when we are ready to deny ourselves and part with anything we have for His sake reckoning nothing lost to us which goes to the glory of Christ. How dear soever our liberties, estates, or lives are to us, if the Lord has need of them, we must let them go. Thus you read, They loved not their lives unto the death. Revelation 12:11. These three things show saving faith to be another manner of thing than the world generally understands it to be, and it is impossible for any man's will to open and receive Christ upon terms of such deep self-denial as these, until there has been a conviction of sin and misery, and discovery of Christ in His glory and necessity, and the drawing power of the Spirit Upon the soul, conviction of our sin and misery makes these terms of religion acceptable. Sinners stand debating with Christ, accepting and objecting against His terms until the Lord has shaken by conviction over hell and made them see the dreadful danger they are in. And then they cry, What shall we do? Acts 2.37 
prescribe any means, impose upon us the greatest difficulties, we are willing to comply with them. Nor will our souls ever comply with these terms of the gospel until a discovery has been made to them of Jesus Christ in his glory and necessity. When a man feels his wants and sees a complete remedy, his will then complies readily and freely. The convinced sinner sees a full and suitable supply in Christ for all his wants, a complete Savior in whom there is nothing defective, but in all respects according to the wants of the sinner's heart. To all this must be added the powerful drawings of the Spirit by which the will comes to Christ. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. John 6.44 When these things are felt on the soul, it hears Christ's voice, his powerful call which breaks asunder all the bonds between a man and his earthly enjoyments. And without these things, the will is not to be persuaded to comply with the difficulties of religion. John Flavel, 1689 Study number 7 Prayer Part 3 Praying with the Spirit and with the Understanding the Apostle puts a clear distinction between praying with the Spirit and praying with the Spirit and the understanding. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. 1 Corinthians 14.15 This distinction was occasioned through the Corinthians not observing that it was their duty to do what they did to the edification of themselves and others too, whereas they did it for their own commendation. So I judge, for many of them having extraordinary gifts as to speak with diverse tongues and so forth, therefore they were more for those mighty gifts than they were for the edifying of their brethren, which was the cause why Paul wrote this chapter to them, to let them understand that though extraordinary gifts were excellent, yet to do what they did for the edification of the church was more excellent. It is expedient, then, that the understanding should be occupied in prayer as well as the heart and mouth. That which is done with understanding is done more effectually, sensibly, and heartily. This made the Apostle pray for the Galatians that God would fill them with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Chapter 1, verse 9. And for the Ephesians that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. And so, for the Philippians, that their love might abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment. Chapter 1, verse 9. 
A suitable understanding is good in everything a man undertakes, either civil or spiritual, and therefore it must be desired by all them that would be a praying people. In my speaking of this, I shall show you what it is to pray with understanding. Understanding is to be taken both for speaking in our mother tongue and also experimentally. I pass the first and treat only on the second. For the making of right prayers, it is to be required that there should be a good or spiritual understanding in all them who pray to God. Number one, to pray with understanding is to pray as being instructed by the Spirit in the understanding of the want of those things which the soul is to pray for. Though a man be in never so much need of pardon of sin and deliverance from wrath to come, yet if he understand not this, he will either not desire them at all, or else be so cold and lukewarm in his desires after them that God will even loathe his frame of spirit in asking for them. Thus it was with the church of Laodicea. They lacked knowledge of spiritual understanding. They knew not that they were poor, wretched, blind, and naked. The cause whereof made them and all their services so loathsome to Christ that he threatens to spew them out of his mouth. Men without understanding may say the same words in prayer as others do. But if there be an understanding in the one and none in the other, there is a mighty difference in speaking the very same words. Number two, spiritual understanding perceiveth in the heart of God a readiness and willingness to give those things to the soul that it stands in need of. David by this could discern the very thoughts of God towards him, and thus it was with the woman of Canaan. She did by faith and a right understanding recognize beyond all the rough carriage of Christ the tenderness and willingness in his heart, which caused her to be vehement and earnest, yea, restless, until she did enjoy the mercy she stood in need of. There is nothing will press the soul more to seek after God and cry for pardon than an understanding of his willingness to save sinners. If a man should see a pearl worth an hundred pounds lie in a ditch, yet if he understood not the value of it, he would lightly pass it by. But if he once got the knowledge of it, he would venture up to the neck for it. So it is with the souls concerning the things of God. If a man once gets an understanding of the worth of them, then his heart, nay, the very strength of his soul, runs after them, and he will never leave crying till he have them. The two blind men in the gospel, because they did certainly know that Jesus who was passing by them was both able and willing to heal their infirmity, therefore they cried, and the more they were rebuked, 
the more they cried. Number three, the understanding being enlightened, way is made for the soul to come to God with suitable arguments, sometimes in a way of expostulation as Jacob, sometimes in a way of supplication, yet not in a verbal way only, but even from the heart there is forced by the Spirit through the understanding such effectual arguments as moveth the heart of God. When Ephraim gets a right understanding of his own unseemly carriages towards the Lord, then he begins to bemoan himself, and in bemoaning of himself he used such arguments with the Lord that it affects his heart, draws out forgiveness, and makes Ephraim pleasant in his eyes through Jesus Christ our Lord. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed, or had a right understanding of myself. I smote upon my thigh, I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. These be Ephraim's bemoanings of himself, at which the Lord breaks forth into these heart-melting expressions, saying, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him. Jeremiah 31, 18-20 Thus you see that as it is required to pray with the Spirit, so it is to pray with the understanding also. To illustrate what hath been spoken by a similitude, Set the case that there come two a-begging to your door. The one is a poor, lame, wounded, and almost starved creature. The other is a healthy, lusty person. These two use the same words in their begging. The one saith, He is almost starved, so doth the other. But yet the man that is indeed the maimed person he speaks with more feeling and understanding of his misery than does the other. And it is discovered more by his affectionate speaking, his bemoaning himself. His pain and poverty make him speak more in a spirit of lamentation than the other. And he shall be pitied sooner than the other by all that have the least measure of natural affection or pity. Just so is it with some. There are some who out of custom and formality go and pray. There are others who go in the bitterness of their spirits. The one prays out of bare notion and naked knowledge. The other hath his words forced from him by the anguish of his soul. Surely that is the man who God will look at 
even him that is of an humble and contrite spirit, and that trembleth at his word. Number four, an understanding, well enlightened, is of admirable use also, both as to the matter and manner of prayer. He that hath his understanding well exercised to discern between good and evil, and in it is placed a sense either of the misery of man or the mercy of God, that soul hath no need of the writings of other men to teach him by form or prayer. For as he that feels pain needs not to be taught to cry, Oh, even so he that hath his understanding opened by the Spirit needs not to be taught by other men's prayers, as that he cannot pray without them. The present sense, feeling, and pressure that lieth upon his spirit provoke him to groan out his request upon the Lord. When David had the pains of hell catching hold on him and the sorrows of hell compass him about, he needed no bishop in a surplus to learn him to say, O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul, or to look into a book to give him a form of prayer to use. It is the nature of the heart of sick men in their pain to fit itself for ease by dolorous groans and complainings to them that stand by. Thus it was with David, and thus, blessed be the Lord, it is with them that are endued with the grace of God. Number five. It is necessary that there be an enlightened understanding to the end that the soul be kept in a continuation of the duty of prayer. The people of God are not ignorant how many wiles, tricks, and temptations the devil hath to make a poor soul who is truly willing to be earnest of seeking the face of God and to think that he is not willing to have mercy on such a one as he I, saith Satan, thou mayest pray indeed, but thou shalt not prevail. Thou seest thine heart as hard, cold, dull, and dead. Thou dost not pray with the Spirit. Thou dost not pray in good earnest. Thy thoughts are running after other things when thou pretendest to pray to God. Away, hypocrite, go no further. It is but in vain to strive any longer. Here now, if the soul be not well informed in its understanding, it will presently cry out, The Lord hath forsaken me. Whereas the soul rightly informed and enlightened saith, I will seek the Lord and wait. I will not leave off, though the Lord keep silence and speak not one word of comfort. He loved Jacob dearly, and yet he made him wrestle before he had the blessing. Seeming delays in God are no tokens of his displeasure. He may hide his face from his dearest saints. He loves to keep his people praying and to find them ever knocking at the gate of heaven. And so the soul says, 
It may be the Lord is trying me, or that He loves to hear me groaning out my condition before Him. The woman of Canaan would not take seeming denials for real ones. She knew the Lord was gracious, and the Lord will avenge His people, though He bear long with them. The Lord hath waited longer upon me than I have waited upon him. Thus it was with David. I waited patiently, saith he. That is, it was long before the Lord answered me, though at the last he inclined his ear unto me and heard my cry. And the most excellent remedy for this is an understanding well informed and enlightened. Alas, how many poor souls are there in the world that truly fear the Lord, who, because they are not well informed in their understanding, are often ready to give up all for lost upon almost every trick and temptation of Satan. The Lord pity them and help them to pray with the Spirit and with the understanding also. Much of my own experience could I here discover when I have been in my fits of agonies of spirit. I have been strongly persuaded to leave off and seek the Lord no longer, but being made to understand what great sinners the Lord hath had mercy on, and how large His promises were still to sinners, and that it was not the whole but the sick, not the righteous but the sinner, not the full but the empty that he extended his grace and mercy unto, this made me, through the assistance of his Holy Spirit, to cleave to him, to hang upon him, and yet to cry, though for the present he made no answer, the Lord help all his poor, tempted, and afflicted people to do the like, to continue, though it be long. And now, to answer a query or two. But what would you have us poor creatures to do that know not how to pray? The Lord knows I know not either how to pray or what to pray for. Answer. Poor heart, canst thou see thy misery? Hath God showed thee that thou art by nature under the curse of his law? If so, do not mistake I know thou dost groan, and that most bitterly. I am persuaded thou canst scarcely be found doing anything in thy calling, but prayer breaketh from thy heart. Have not thy groans gone up to heaven? I know it is thus, and so also doth thine own sorrowful heart witness thy tears, forgetfulness of thy calling, and so forth. Is not thy heart so full of desires after the things of another world that many times thou dost even forget the things of this world? Read Job 23.12 Yes, but when I go into secret and intend to pour out my soul before God, I can scarcely say anything at all. Answer Ah, sweet soul, it is not thy words that God so much desires. His eye is on the brokenness of thine heart, and it is that which 
makes the very bowels of the Lord run over. A broken and contrite heart, O Lord, thou wilt not despise. The stopping of thy words may arise from overmuch trouble in thy heart. David was so troubled sometimes that he could not speak. But this may comfort all such sorrowful hearts as thou art. But though thou canst not through the anguish of thy spirit speak much, yet the Holy Spirit stirs up in thine heart, groans and sighs when thy mouth is hindered, yet the Spirit is not. Moses made heaven ring again with his prayer, yet we read not of one word that came from his mouth. Exodus 14.15 If thou wouldest more fully express thyself before the Lord, study thy filthy estate. God's promises, the heart of Christ, which thou mayest know by his bloodshedding, by the mercy he has extended to great sinners formerly, and plead thine own vileness by way of bemoaning. Christ's blood by way of expostulation, and in thy prayers let the mercy he hath extended to other great sinners, together with his rich promises of grace, be much upon thy heart. Yet let me counsel thee, take heed that thou content not thyself with words. Do not think God looks only at them, but whether thy words be few or many, let thine heart go with them, and then shalt thou seek him and find him, when thou shalt seek him with thy whole heart. Objection. But though you have seemed to speak against any other way of praying but by the Spirit, yet here you yourself can give directions how to pray. Answer. We ought to prompt one another forward to prayer, though we ought not to make for each other forms of prayer. To exhort to pray with Christian direction is one thing, and to make stinted forms for the tying up of the Spirit of God to them is another thing. The Apostle gives us no form to pray withal, yet directs to prayer. Objection. But if we do not use forms of prayer, how shall we teach our children to pray? Answer. My judgment is that men go the wrong way to learn their children to pray, and going about so soon to learn them in any set of words, as is the common use of poor creatures to do. To me it seems a better way for people betimes to tell their children what cursed creatures they are, and how they are under the wrath of God by reason of original and actual sin. Also to tell them the nature of God's wrath and the duration of the misery, which if they conscientiously do, they would sooner learn their children to pray than they do. The way that men learn to pray is by conviction for sin, and this is the way to make our sweet babes do so too. But the other way, namely, to be busy in learning children forms of prayer before they know anything else, 
is the next way to make them cursed hypocrites and to puff them up with pride. Teach your children their wretched state. Tell them of hell fire, of their sins, of damnation and salvation, the way to escape the one and to enjoy the other, if you know yourselves. And this will make tears run down your sweet babe's eyes, and hearty groans flow from their hearts. And then also you may tell them to whom they should pray, and through whom they should pray. You may tell them also of God's promises and His former grace extended to sinners according to the Word. Ah, poor sweet babes, the Lord opens their eyes and makes them holy Christians. Said David, Come ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He did not say, I will muzzle you up in a form of prayer, but I will teach you the fear of the Lord, which is to see their sad state by nature and to be instructed in the truth of the gospel, which doth through the Spirit beget prayer and every one that in truth learns it. And the more you learn them this, the more will their hearts run out to God in prayer. God never accounted Paul a praying man until he was convinced and converted. No more will it be with anyone else. Objection But we find that the disciples desired that Christ should teach them to pray, as John also taught his disciples, and that therefore he taught them that form called the Lord's Prayer. Answer. One, to be taught by Christ is that which not only they, but we desire. And seeing he is not here in his person to teach us, he does so by his word and spirit, for the spirit has been sent to supply his room when he went away. John fourteen sixteen, sixteen seven. Two, as to that called a form, I cannot think that Christ intended it as a stinted form of prayer. First, because he himself layeth it down diversely, as may be seen by comparing Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Had he intended it as a set form, it must have been so laid down in so many words and no more. Second, We do not find the apostles observed it as such, neither did they admonish others so to do. By those words, our Father, and so forth, Christ instructed his people what rules they should observe in their prayers to God. A. That they should pray in faith. B. To their Father in the heavens. C. For such things as are according to His will and so forth. Pray thus, or after this manner. Objection. But Christ bids prayer for the Spirit. This implies that men without the Spirit pray, notwithstanding, and are heard. Answer. 
The speech of Christ there is directed to his own. Christ, in telling them that God would give his Holy Spirit to them that asked him, is to be understood of giving more of the Holy Spirit. It was the disciples who were spoken to, which had a measure of the Spirit already. Christians ought to pray for more of the Spirit, though God hath endued them with it already. Question. Then would you have none pray but those who know they are disciples of Christ? Answer. Yes. Let every soul that would be saved pour out itself to God, though it cannot through temptation, conclude itself a child of God. If the grace of God be in him, it will be as natural for him to groan out his condition as it is for a sucking child to cry for the breast. Prayer is one of the first things that discovers a man to be a Christian. But yet, if it be right, it is such a prayer as this, first, to desire God in Christ for himself, for his holiness, love, wisdom, and glory. For right prayer, as it runs on to God through Christ, so it centers in him, and in him alone. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire, long for, and seek after, besides thee. Second, that the soul might enjoy continually communion with him, both here and hereafter. For in this we do earnestly groan, I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Third, right prayer, is accompanied with a continual labor after that which is prayed for. My soul doth wait for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I will arise now and seek him whom my soul loveth. For Mark, I beseech you that there are two things which provoke to prayer. The one is a detestation to sin, and the things of this life. The other is a longing desire after communion with God in an holy and undefiled state and inheritance. Compare but this one thing with most of the prayers that are made by men, and you shall find them but mock prayers and the breathings of an abominable spirit. For even the most of men either pray not at all or else only endeavor to mock God and the world by so doing. Do but compare their prayers and the course of their lives together, and you may easily see that the thing pleaded in their prayer is the least looked after by their lives. O oh, sad hypocrites! John Bunyan to be continued, God willing, in the June studies. In concluding the May studies, 
we may add a thought of Charles Spurgeon. You cannot expect to have peace with God and still indulge in that drunkard's glass. What? A drunkard reconciled to God? You cannot hope to enjoy peace with God and yet refuse to speak with that relative who offended you years ago. What? Look to be forgiven when you will not yourself forgive? There are doubtful practices in your trade behind the counter. Do you dare to hope that God will accept a thief? For that is what you are, a thief and a liar. You brand your goods dishonestly, calling them twenty when they are fifteen. Do you expect God to be your friend while you remain a rogue? Do you think he will smile on you in your knavery and walk with you when you choose dirty ways? Perhaps you indulge a haughty spirit, or it may be an idle disposition. It little signifies what kind of devil is in you. It must come out, or else the peace of God cannot come in. Now, art thou willing to give sin up? If not, it is all lost time for me to preach Christ to thee, for he is not meant to be a savior of those who persevere in sin. He came to save his people from their sins, not in them. And if thou still must needs cling to a darling sin, be not deceived, for within the gates of heaven thou canst never enter. Unquote. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. 
And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.